0: We turn again to the book of James in the New Testament. And we are in chapter 4, which is uh, page 1012 in these Bibles in, in the pews. John mentioned these cards. We, we have these invitation cards, and there's a stack of those on the um, table over here as you exit on your right. And they're, they're pretty generic, but they tell, obviously, our location, website, the times of the services and uh, for the next couple of weeks is the time when people that typically don't go to church would gladly come if you invite them. Next week there will be lots of music, and among the things that John mentioned in between the services, but uh, it's, it's always a special service at, the, at this time of the year. So I hope that you will come and invite someone to join you. James chapter 4, we'll be looking at the first 10 verses today. Hear God's word. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's let's pray together. O Lord, as... We prayed many times with the psalmist. We ask that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, James is describing here a friendship, uh, a friendship between being a friend of God or a friend of the world. You know, when you think about a friendship, you think about having a relationship with someone that you can count on, that there's rapport, even quick rapport when you've not seen each other for many years. One person said, friends give us strength and comfort. It, isn't it interesting that when something occurs in your life and you are alone, you pick up the phone and call a friend? You want to connect with someone else. Few things are more lonely than going through a sudden test or joy and having no friend to call. Most people will tell us that, that uh, people, by and large, today will probably have no more than three to five true, genuine, close friends in their lifetime. Many acquaintances, but few close friends. Or we can be cynical like Jay Kessler, who later in life wrote, one of my goals in life is to wind up with eight men who are willing to carry one of my handles. Uh, You know about, well, okay. So James is describing two types of friendship, um, very different types. He's really describing two lifestyles. Two types of life, friendship with the world or friendship with God. Let me just give you a quick review again of the letter and the author. It's been a a number of weeks since we looked at James or if you've not been here with us before. Uh, The author, we believe, our understanding, though it's not without a little bit of debate, is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, He wrote this for the persecuted Jewish Christians who had scattered Most of the early believers obviously were Jewish backgrounds. They stayed in Jerusalem, and persecution began that we read about in Acts chapter 8, and so they had to flee to other places all around the Mediterranean. Uh, So the letter is written to these believers who are scattered. Some now are gathered in, in local churches in various places, but this is different from other letters in the New Testament, that it was not directed primarily at one local church, like the church at Rome or the church at Philippi. James, the letter of James, is filled with uh, abundant rhetorical questions, sometimes in rapid fire. We've already seen some of those. We'll see a couple today. Who is wise among you? What causes quarrels and fights among you? Do you not know that friendship with the world is to be an enmity with God? But who are you to judge your neighbor? Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone among you sick? And he uses all sorts of illustrations. It's loaded with illustrations. Horses, springs of water, boats, fire, mirrors, farm work, flowers, mist, travel, and Old Testament heroes. He uses very vivid language. He says desire becomes pregnant and gives birth to sin. Demons believe and shudder. The rich howl, riches rot. Corroding metals eat flesh like fire. That's the kind of language you encounter here in the book of James, and he uses paradox, and we come to one of the prime examples here in this passage. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This passage begins first with a call to repentance, and he uses a, a question that's calling them in that direction what causes you we see in verse 1 what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you apparently there's division there's there's fighting there's strife among them we we've already seen in chapter 2 that there was division class division between rich and poor we saw in chapter 3 if if you were here with us uh, some weeks ago that there were some who wanted to become teachers in order to gain a platform and to exercise authority over the others this produced bitter jealousy, we read, and selfish ambition, which resulted in chapter 3 describing it as disorder in every vile practice. So apparently this quarreling had even led to some degree of violence. And James here asked the question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? In other words, where does this strife come from? What is the sin beneath the sin? If you've been a believer for any uh, amount of time, you know that's the important question. What is the sin beneath my sin? I know I act a certain way, but what is driving that? What is the motivation? What is behind it? Today, we have all sorts of personality tests. You probably have used those in school or in the workplace. We use them in the church. So we have... Examples like Myers-Briggs or Taylor Johnson or strength finders and and a plethora of others. Here's what a personality test does. It gives you a snapshot of the present. It may say how you approach work uh, or how you relate to others, whether you're introvert, extrovert, whether you uh, express yourself or you're um, non-expressive, all those kinds of things. And it's a snapshot, but what they do not reveal is why we may act this way. Why have you developed a relational style that's, that's more of a type A? Or why do you enjoy serving others? Why do you keep your thoughts to yourself? Why do you say everything that passes through your brain to other people? You know, that's What is the motivation behind the action? And James is looking at the outward symptoms of fighting and quarreling and he asks them to, wha- to ask themselves what is at the root of this because often the outward action that we may observe in ourselves or in someone else can be completely misinterpreted if we don't know what is at the root. This was brought home to me many years ago when I was a senior in high school. I, I was working in my hometown. I had a part-time job at a clothing store. in in our town at that time, the city where I lived in Alabama, all the retail district was on one main street. It was called Broad Street. So the stores faced the, the street and I was standing one evening, it, it was dark, and, uh, working and no one was really in the store at that time so I was right by the door uh, which faced the street and I heard a car crash and I went outside and I could see what was happening the car had hit, the parked cars were on the sides of the roads and, and, and uh, with parking meters and a car had drifted over and, and hit these cars, came back in the road, hit another car went back and hit more cars. So there. They're damaged and wrecked cars all along the road. And I, we could all hear it. It was so loud. So people working in the stores or customers all came out onto the street. And I could see the car uh, that had been driven by the person who had hit all the others. And there was a man that ran up to the car. And he, I seemed lean inside. And he came back out and said, call the police right now. That person is dead drunk behind the steering wheel. And he was real mad. And he was real uh, Harsh toward the driver. Well, it ended up, it might have seemed by his actions that he was drunk, but he'd had a seizure. When he had the seizure, his right leg gunned the car. And, and so it just was speeding down, down there, bouncing off one car to another. But the, the outward actions, we could all see. We could see the result. But what caused it was open to debate up until we realized what, what the issue was. And in the church, we, we easily do this. We see how another person acts, or what they, that person may say, or, but we don't know why. And I think we should give each other the benefit of the doubt. What is behind that action? If you've ever taken care of a, an elderly uh, adult that's, that may be at the point where they can't express themselves, or if you have a baby, before that baby can talk, before that, that youngster can talk, often you have to guess what is wrong with them. Raising a disabled child that cannot talk, Barbara and I have just had to spend the past 23 years basically trying to figure out what does he want when he gets so loud. When Steve, our son Stephen, was small, uh, I guess like uh, kindergarten age, <clears throat> he was he was going to a, a, a daycare program, and one day he we he went and he was just all agitated that morning, and he he went all day and. You know, the workers later said he was, he's, something's wrong. He's crying all day. He's agitated. And so we start, you know, trying to, to work through the list. Okay, is there a fever? No. Is there any sign of an ear infection? No. Is there, is, has he had any food? Yeah. Well, this went on and on. And so that evening when we took his shoes off, one of his feet, if that's your foot, and here your toes, had been like this when it was pushed into the shoe. So all day long, his foot had been in a contorted position. That's what had irritated him. Well, oh, we didn't sleep very well that night. But we, in the church, we can see this. All right, enough on that point. James is saying, what's the source? What's the root? And he says, it's obvious. You want what you can't have. You're jealous, or you lust, or you covet, and, and you, you don't get what you want. So your selfish desires and so forth, you take it, even to the point uh, of murder. A lot of scholarly debate uh, on that part that I don't have the wisdom or knowledge to go into. Except it was bad, uh, and it was wrong. So he says, what's at the heart of that? And and at the fighting and quarreling, he says, it's it's what's happening in your heart. It's pride, it's self-centeredness. A friend of this congregation, Sandy Wilson, was pastor for many years of Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis. He retired a number of years ago. And in the months following that, he consulted a number of churches that called on him to help them with issues. These were large, influential churches. He said all five of them had major problems, major divisions. And he said, I went in and I studied and I interviewed people. and He said, I can tell you, all the problems boil down to three that were causing the divisions. First issue was pride second issue was pride the third issue was pride that's what James is saying what's at the root of the quarreling and the division and the fighting it's you are a friend of the world you've made yourself a friend of the world and so he calls them adulterers you adulterous people this is called the most strongly worded call to repentance anywhere in the new testament you adulterous people Well, now remember, these were Jewish believers. So when they heard the term adulterous people, unlike us today, we might think, well, were they all unfaithful in their marriages? That's not the issue. To call a group of people adulterous goes back to the Old Testament, that God was the the husband married to the nation of Israel. And when they pursued other gods and were unfaithful to him, he called them adulterous because they were being unfaithful to God. That's why when Jesus came and rebuked the teachers and Sadducees and the and the Pharisees, he says this is a wicked and adulterous generation. That's prophetic language talking about that you have walked away from your faithfulness to God. Well, with whom were they being adulterous? With the world. The values of the fallen world, the way of thinking that just leaves God out. To be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. When I think about weddings here in the church, I tend to see them in my mind from this vantage point. Because typically, when I attend a wedding here, I'm the one leading it. Not always, but typically. So I see it from this perspective. So imagine with me, if you will. A very formal wedding, uh, an evening wedding, Saturday at 7 p.m. And a uh, it, 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 large crowd of people here, a formal dress and so forth. And so what typically will happen is the pastor will come in and the, the groom is there with his, his best man. And then the, all the attendants come down, the bridesmaids over here, the groomsmen over here. And then the doors open up. And everyone stands and here's the bride coming and, and typically with her father to, to give her away. But imagine that scene as the music plays and as the groom with a twinkle in his eyes looking down that aisle that maybe about 10 feet behind her as she enters, there's a guy. And then a few feet later, another guy. And then another guy. So she's coming with her father in this whole crowd of young men. And the music stops, and he says, who are they? And she says, well, these are all my boyfriends. And I so, thought, what? Yeah, you're marrying me, aren't you? You know, I want, she says, I want you, but I've got them too. We'll just all be together. And he goes, no, that's, that's not my idea of a marriage. It's exclusive, because I'll be jealous for my wife. You know, what, does, what does the Bible say right here? God is jealous for us so when we are friends with the world what we are saying is i want you god i just want all of these too you know it, i want to marry you i want all the benefits of being married to you i want forgiveness of sins i want all that comes with being a christian all the spiritual benefits it's just i kind of want to hang on to these things too and what does james say you can't do that to be a friend of the world To think like the world, to act like the world, to have your values like the world that leaves God out uh, is to be an enemy of God. So we say, well, what's the solution? I mean, I've I've developed these sin patterns over a long time. I got a lot of years invested in how I behave. (laughs) And I just can't flip a switch or snap my fingers and it's all gone. How do I change? And so he tells us in verse 6, and it's a very encouraging transition. But he gives more grace. Not just the grace to be redeemed, to be saved by faith, by grace through faith, but he gives grace to whom? To those who humble themselves and submit themselves to him. So let's move on to verse seven. James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Uh, it, the word submit means to arrange under. To arrange under. In our day, the word submit is a negative term. It is. It sounds like, oh, wait a minute, you're going to make me vulnerable and I'll be abused or someone will take advantage of me or I'll submit to some leader who will lead us astray or, or tell me to do unwise things. In the Bible, it simply means to arrange our lives under God's direction. To submit to God is to recognize his lordship and his authority over all of life, including mine, is to say, Lord, you know what's best. You you tell me what to do. You direct me. I submit to you. So we find such invitations filled with grace as Matthew eleven, when Christ said to the people, Come to me, all who are all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So in a general sense, it's like a headline. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. But then he gives uh, cases in point of how we are to submit. He gives four. Verse seven, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stand against him with the spiritual armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and he will flee from you. Then he goes on, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You could serve. I, I, I've known men in this church. I think of one in particular from years ago. He's, he's no longer living, but he served with General Patton in World War II. And, and he might have said, I, I served under General Patton. Now, did he have a personal, friendly relationship with him? No like most of the soldiers that served under any general. But he could draw near him. We can s- submit to God, but then amidst that submission, we draw near to him, and he promises to draw near to us. A.W. Tozer wrote an essay entitled, Nearness is Likeness. To be near to God is to be like God. To be like God is to be near to God. Then he go, it says, cleanse your hands, Sinners, purify your hearts, double-minded. Again, this is Old Testament temple language. Repent. He's saying remove everything from your life, from your actions, that deter you from being single-minded and pursuing God. Then he says be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to sadness and your cheer into gloominess. We say, well, what's that about? I thought there was joy in knowing we are forgiven. Well, before we can be forgiven, we need to see our sin as it really is. Um, often we may not be able to experience the joy of sins forgiven if we don't first see how wicked they are how wicked our behavior is i want to say something that some of you know but uh, a while back i I have sermon amnesia two days from now i doubt if i'll be able to tell you what i preached on you won't be able to tell me tomorrow but i don't think i'll be able to tell you by tuesday that, I, it's just, I'm not, I'm not joking. I, I just, for some reason, it's just, it's just gone. It's like I crammed for an exam. Remember little college exams? Got it all on paper, and then uh, five minutes later. Um, well, I was, I think we were studying James, and I referred to, to Abraham, the patriarch of the faith, and I referred, and I was summarizing, and I said that Abraham and his brother Lot. Now, several of you, I know you noticed, because a number of you afterwards said, Lot was not his brother, that was his nephew. And I went, oh, all week long after that, great, you know. Who can trust a preacher that doesn't know his basic Bible stories, you know. Like, wasn't it Abraham that fought Goliath, or didn't David go and walk through the Red Sea? And so I was just beating myself up all week, and I thought, why does my sin not do this to me? My mistakes do, that aren't necessarily sinful. Do you ever make mistakes and all, you kind of beat yourself up? But here he's saying about our sin that we should see that and think, I've offended a holy God, and there's grief over this. By the way, after the first service, you got to love this church. Another woman from the area said, Chip, you're a deep southerner. Don't you know that a nephew is a second brother removed? And I should have said, well, look, from Alabama, cousin, brother, wife, I mean, they all run together. (laughs) So thank you for those encouraging words. So he he restates the main point in verse 10 Humble yourselves before God. Now, I got to tell you, the first of the week, that was going to be the entire sermon. So I asked Michael. I said, I'm going to. I uh, might the music director. I said, I want to end up talking about the humility seen in Mary, the mother of Jesus, and in Christ. So you notice the readings and the prayers and the songs reflected the prayer of Mary submitting to God. And now you see how far I've gotten. So I decided the other day, I said, this is too rich. I can't just jump ahead. So this is part one. Part 2 will be next week, and we're going to see how that verse 10 was shown in Mary. And then, then we will also see that the chief form of humiliation was the incarnation of Christ himself. So just a couple of words about verse 10 before we wrap it up. If we humble ourselves, if we admit our sin, that we recognize we can't reform ourselves, we can't change ourselves... The Lord will lift us up as we humble ourselves before him. And so he gives us a choice between two ways of life, selfish ambition or the way of purity and peace, friend of the world, friend of God. Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So James is saying the same thing, but he says, God will lift you up. Here's my point. Right now, You may be dealing with an area of testing your faith, testing your obedience. And it's boiling down to a a simple step of, can I submit to God in this area? And I want to say, God is for you. You can trust him. And and your past may say, when I've submitted to people, it ended badly. God is saying, no, you submit to me and, and I'll exalt you. I will exalt you. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we we don't know the form that exaltation takes in this life, uh, if it does, but we know ultimately that will be the case. So we pray that you would help us to submit to you as our Redeemer, knowing that we can't save ourselves. Help us to submit to you daily and minute by minute with choices and how we respond to other people, what we think, what we say, what we see, uh, how we show love for those we know and those we don't. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you take your order of service, you'll see the words to the doxology that we're going to sing in just a moment to the tune of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That was a beautiful arrangement. I don't think anybody in the choir's left <laughs> getting to hear that twice today uh, of the anthem that they, they sang of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Let's stand and be dismissed with the benediction, and then we'll sing together. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings.